Some call it insight, others call it vision. At Pershing, we call it perspective. A perspective you'll benefit from, from a custodian you can rely on. One who can help navigate the big picture and whose products give you a competitive edge. One who considers everything, what will help you succeed today and tomorrow. Open yourself to a new perspective and open the possibilities. Consider everything. BNY Mellon Pershing. Learn more at pershing.com slash go independent. Pershing Advisor Solutions, LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. Welcome to the Spirit-Centered Business Podcast, where we blend the spiritual with the practical for supernatural results. Now, here's your host, Berlin Newby. Welcome to Spirit-Centered Business. I am here with a really cool friend, Sam Andrews, and some of you may know Ruthie Andrews. She's another favorite on the show. But Sam comes to us as a expert in the constitutional sheriff and what that means. He came from being a strategic planner with the Department of Defense, and you currently train and build and design on weapons and weapon systems. You work with SWAT teams and sheriffs and local um, authorities and people from all over the world, right? That is true. Awesome. Well, why don't you tell everybody a little bit more about your background and what you, what you did in the past and what you're doing now, and then we'll get into the discussion. Okay. Well, education-wise, I uh, came up uh, through the public school system and uh, became a mechanical engineer. I graduated with a master's in mechanical engineering and an undergrad degree in physics and a minor in communications. And I was recruited to work for an intel agency as a young man. I worked in Afghanistan under Ronald Reagan. That's how old I am. And uh, <laughs> uh, I came back from Afghanistan with a lot of ideas about how to design and build weapon systems that would give our operators more standoff capability. And uh, I started several companies, one built IndyCar engines, one designed and built weapon systems. Uh, we have a recent company we started almost four years ago called the Freedom Center USA, and it's a thousand yard rifle range and handgun and CQB training center. And the okay, mission- you're going to have to explain some of that. Okay, well, <laughs> first- okay. CQB stands for close quarters battle. Okay. So basically that means uh, we train people in close quarters combat. We train SWAT teams in how to do entries. We train law enforcement in handgun and carbine. So their their Glocks and their Smith and Wesson pistols and their AR-15s and their H&K 416 weapon systems that they use. Uh, We train them in how to use those in and around vehicles, in and around buildings, how to deal with an ambush if they're mobbed by a crowd of protesters. We have a course now, it's a three-day course uh, called Enhanced Carbine Urban Vehicle Tactical uh, Carbine Course. And we teach people if they are attacked in their vehicle, how to handle it. Wow, that sounds fascinating. That sounds like something that I would want to do. One other thing that you said, though, that that I want to explain to the audience, what is, oh, standoff capability? Okay, so for example, in 1993, we had seven sniper teams killed in the first war over in Iraq, and they were killed by hand-portable mortars that could shoot up to 1,600 meters away, pretty much a mile. And so the Army put out a request for proposal for a sniper weapon system that would give our snipers standoff capability. And what standoff means is I can shoot you from farther away than you can shoot me. So if your weapon system's limited to 1,600, I want to be able to shoot you from 2,000 meters away. And that's, that's what standoff capability is, the ability to engage at a distance further than your enemy can engage you. Mm. Okay, that makes sense. All right, continue your, your bio, because I know you do some other cool stuff too. Well, I, I started a company building racing engines. I started a company building weapons, and I started a, a company about four years ago to build a range and training center called the Freedom Center USA. 
-hmm. And we talk about it often on the radio show on Monday mornings, 8 to 10, 8 to 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 0800 to 1000 hours for you military types. <laughs> and uh, we, I do it with a, a Green Beret named John Moore. It's his show, and he has me on every Monday, and we, we talk about firearms. So if you have questions about firearms, you can call into the show. The number is 1-800-313-9443. That's 1-800-313-9443. And if, I will definitely put that in the show notes. Fantastic. So if you have any questions about firearms, defensive tactics, uh, strategy as far as how to handle threats, that's a great show to call in on. And we sometimes I'll have a counter-terrorist Marine or I'll have a Navy SEAL buddy of mine, one of our instructors at our at our Freedom Center range, they'll be on the show with me. So you get some really experienced people answering your questions about wow. how to defend your family, yourself, your home, and your neighborhood. That, that really sounds um, very cool. Is it a, a local or a U internet radio station? Uh, RBN is an internet radio station. It's broadcast around the world. Okay. We've gotten calls from Japan and Australia and New Zealand and Great Britain and New Hampshire and California and Washington and Texas and Montana. People call in from all over the world to ask questions about firearms. Okay, so we will definitely have the, the link to that in the show notes. Perfect. And you can watch it live or you can go to the Republic Broadcast Network and listen to the archives. Or if you're just interested in this particular show, you can go to YouTube, John Moore, J-O-H-N-M-O-O-R-E. John Moore has a YouTube channel where the archives of the radio shows are posted. So there's right. a lot of ways to listen. You can even get an app for your phone and listen live if you want to. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. So is there anything else that our listeners or audience needs to know about you before we dive into the constitutional sheriff and what that means for business? Well, uh, uh, I want people to know that I don't just talk about these things. When we had the riots in Ferguson in 2014, uh, I led a team of 80 men onto the rooftops of Ferguson to protect people in their apartments and protect their businesses. Ferguson is a suburban community just west of St. Louis City, and it has a number of small businesses that are on the first floor of these two and three-story buildings, and then they have apartments on the second story and the third story, and uh, people live in these apartments. And during the riots, they were trying to attack these people and burn them out of their apartments and burn the business people out of their businesses. And we protected a Chinese restaurant, a lawyer's office, a dentist, a large dentist's office, uh, a baker named Natalie Moore in Ferguson. We protected a beauty shop owner, we protected the Savoy building, a hardware store, and then all the apartments that were above those businesses. Wow. I didn't know that. That is amazing. So, wow. Hmm. There's a lot that we could go down that trail about what, how that all went out but or played out. But, wow. Okay. Very good. Good to I, know. I want, I want people to know I'm not just an academian. Uh, right, right. Exactly. I know how to handle a rifle and I know how to handle strategic situations uh, in the real world, in the physical world. And, right. and that's an important thing to understand is it's one thing to think about something like the Easter Bunny. It's a beautiful thing to think about. It's just not real. When you get into these riot situations, you get into these crowds that their moods change on a moment's notice you have to be able to do a proper threat assessment. You have to be able to take immediate action that's the right step if you wanna survive these encounters. And these are physical, real world, hard and fast rules that cannot be broken. If you don't know the rules, your chance of survival become very slim. Mm. Wow, that's, that's really cool. I mean, we could have a discussion about how uh, business owners need to be trained in this and arm themselves because, you know, they need to defend their business as well. This is their livelihood. And it's, you know, I, I actually saw something that you were protecting your business um, from in a flood or something like that, where oh, no. people, yeah, if people got a hold of, of the weapons that were in your business, you know, if they got into the wrong hands, that's a bad, bad deal. 
right? So it's important. Yeah. When you own a weapons company and you're federally licensed to manufacture weapons, you're also responsible for controlling those weapons and making sure they don't get into the wrong hands. You know, we have so many random attacks on police. This country's basically in the fourth phase of an insurgency. Mm -hmm. And the fourth phase is marked by violent protests, uh, the government getting aggressive and cracking down on protesters, and then random attacks on the security element of the state. And that's what we're seeing right now in 2020. We're seeing police precincts burnt down. We're seeing police officers attacked in their cars. These are these random attacks that, that signal that we're in the fourth phase of an insurgency. That is really good to point out because some people won't even admit that we're in a war, you know, already. It's, we have, we've been under this attack and this insurgency, like you say, and that's exactly what it is. So we're already into the fourth phase, people. We need yeah, to and, and the bad news is, is that we don't have a single example in history of a city, a state, or a country reaching the fourth phase of an insurgency and not going to the final phase, which is the fifth phase in an all-out shooting war. Uh, generally, what happens when you reach, reach the fourth phase of an insurgency is the people in power, the politicians in power generally will tighten the noose around people's rights, tighten the noose around their necks. And as they tighten, that becomes the motivation for an all out revolution. Yes. Wow. I totally agree. And, and yes, it is, it is scary times. I mean, we do know that God's in control, um, but we do have to be aware of the threat and understand our rights and responsibilities and duties and how to defend ourselves. So, wow, this is a great conversation. I really want to go down that road. Um, let's, let's, well, let's continue just a little bit further before we jump back over to the constitutional sheriff. Well, let's talk a little bit about what your responsibilities are. Yes. So, uh, if you've ever heard of a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Mm -hmm. He was a Lutheran minister during Hitler's reign, and he wrote some great books. Probably the best book ever written outside of the Bible is Ethics by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm -hmm. And he lays out in great detail the justification for why good people need to confront evil and stop it. Mm -hmm. We have a responsibility. You know, history is full of examples of evil human beings being removed from the planet and the good part of God's creation going forward. Mm -hmm. And it's important that since a lot of Christians have been sort of anesthetized and, and dumbed down and numbed to these things, there's the myth of the passive Jesus that infects so many churches. Well, I want to remind people that Jesus made his own scourge built it himself. That's right. Jesus was a weapon builder, just like me. Mm -hmm. yep. And he built the most feared weapon of the day, which was the scourge. And he went into the temples and he turned their tables over and he whipped their butts with his scourge and drove them out of the temple. And that's the Jesus that I know. Now you can pretend Jesus was a passive guy, but that's not true. He yep. went around everywhere he went, stirring things up, calling the government leaders out for the hypocrites that they were mm -hmm. and whipping people with things like scourges that he made himself. Yeah. And if you read scripture, you'll see that what I say is true. Yep. No, he was an agitator, definitely uh, presenting a counterculture to what they've been programmed with before. So you're absolutely right. So more about our, our responsibilities. Um, yeah. To me, the actions of Jesus speak to your responsibility to confront evil. Mm -hmm. I mean, people say, what would Jesus do? Well, I'll tell you what Jesus would do. Jesus would confront evil. And we have that same responsibility. You know, we live in this in-between time. We live after the first appearance of Christ, and we live before the second appearance of Christ. And so we live between uh, the past and the not yet. And there's a tension that exists living in this time period. But that tension requires us to help build the kingdom and to confront evil and help bring the kingdom forward. And, and that's, you know, the Bible is a, is a long storied history 
of God's good creation moving forward and evil being defeated. And we are just as responsible as all of those other people to confront evil and defeat it. That's a great quote. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and, and get that because that tension is uh, the key to us being able to build. I love that. Build the kingdom. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a tension that exists between the time Christ uh, went through the atonement sacrifice and laid out the plan and the time that the plan reaches full fruition. And that tension uh, is basically the battle between good and evil. And that's where we are. That's mm -hmm. where we were placed in creation. And we are absolutely accountable to confront evil. You know, even when they were stoning this woman, you know, Christ said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. You know, and the first stone came flying in and Jesus turned around and said, mothers, cut that out. Don't do that again. No, that's just an old Catholic joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But no, even Christ, even Christ confronted evil in every situation he was in. There's no excuse for backing away from evil. And when, when the devil tempted Jesus and said, I will let you command all that you can see when they were up on the mountain, Jesus didn't say, no, you can't. Jesus said, said, it is written, you shall worship your father in heaven only. And he confronted the devil on his lie. And, and, and it's important for us to confront lies, to confront things that are not true, mm -hmm. and to confront evil at every opportunity and not let it move forward or progress. Wow. Okay. So that is so good. And that could lead us down another bunny trail of the lies that we're constantly told through um, the fake news media, essentially, you know, communist news network. Um, because if, if they, they say that uh, if the lie is told often enough, it becomes the truth. Well, it only becomes the truth in their minds, right? It, it's, right. it's, it doesn't matter how many people believe a lie, it's still a lie. Right. And it doesn't matter how many people don't believe the truth, it's still the truth. And it's, it's very important that we understand that we live in the age of deception. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't but 20 years ago when digital cameras started to proliferate that the courts originally ruled that you couldn't use a digital picture as evidence because it could easily be manipulated by pixel. But the courts have become so corrupted that they allow all kinds of digital evidence in now, and it can literally be modified by pixel. You can literally modify a movie, not just a photograph, by pixel now. We have software that allows people to do this pretty efficiently. And so what we've done is we've laid a, the groundwork for total deception. Yeah. And, and my advice to people, if you see it on an LED screen, if it has pixels, don't believe it. Mm. Question everything with pixels that you see. Yeah. And that's probably why there's such a, a science now of the forensic, um, you know, tearing apart videos to make sure that if they are, see if they are real or are doctored. So... I had, a, I had a friend who shall remain nameless who was extremely upset about this naked man bailing out of the third story window at Buckingham Palace. And he said, the, the, these people in Great Britain are pedophiles, they're horrible. And I said, now wait a minute, let's go to that video and take a look. And I said, I've been to Britain, that doesn't look like Buckingham Palace to me. The architecture is more French than it is British. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's go to Google, let's go to a street earth view and let's look at all, all the sides of Buckingham Palace and see if the windows in the architecture are the same. And so that's what we did and she said, oh my gosh, it's not Buckingham Palace. And I said, no, it's not. I that, said, be, that seems, go ahead, sorry. be very, very careful what you see on the internet and what you believe. Just because someone says it's Buckingham Palace doesn't mean it is. Right. And that's the importance of doing our own research. 
and not exactly. listening to, you know, the brainwashing of the, you know, keeping us in the matrix of this is, this is the structure that you really live under. And like, that's not true. Well, so. if you're an easy button person, right? You like the easy button. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very easy to accept these lies and carry them forward and parrot them. And I tell people, don't be a parrot. Don't be lazy. Do your homework. Research this stuff. Question everything. Because it is important to know the truth. And it's important not to falsely accuse your brother or sister of something that, that is wrong. I mean, it's, you need to be very, very careful when you accuse people of things. You have to have credible evidence that's been verified. And I don't like these internet parrots that see someone claim someone else did something wrong and they present this video and the video has been manipulated or it's a total lie. And then they go and parrot that accusation, which is false and parrot that lie. And I think as, as Christians, we are responsible to tell the truth. We're responsible for hitting the mark. Yes. There's actually a marksmanship uh, metaphor in scripture. That's right. We are responsible to be good marksmen and hit the mark, which okay. means we're not supposed to be parroting lies. Very, very good. And we've also been trained and conditioned to love that easy button, right? We're not supposed to get out of our comfort zone and actually do something that causes distress or, or discomfort or takes up extra time, like doing our own research. Ugh. Well, that's a great statement. You know, one of the things when people come to train on firearms at the Freedom Center USA one of the first things that we put on the whiteboard at the beginning of class, other than our mission statement, our mission statement there is to teach the skills that preserve freedom. It's a fairly simple mission. Love that. And we put on the board underneath our mission statement, all real and measurable improvement happen outside of your comfort zone. Love that. And, and if people understood that, they would get a lot more comfortable getting outside their comfort zone and learning and growing because nothing in your comfort zone will help you grow as a human being, will make you better with a handgun or a rifle, will make you a better Christian or a better person. Everything good that changes for the better in your life will happen outside of your comfort zone. That is so good. I am furiously writing. That's another quotable. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Wow. Anything else regarding our responsibilities or, or, you know what, we were talking about the constitution. We should probably talk about our rights to confront evil. Yeah. And I want to lay something out sort of as a bridge between the things yeah. that we've been talking about and where we're headed. Mm -hmm. You know, George Patton is famous for his foul language and his brilliant strategy in war. And in a famous speech, he told his soldiers, the men under his command, that it's not your job to die for your country. It's your job to make the other poor son of a bitch die for his country. Okay. Now, as yeah. harsh as that is, people need to understand that it's not your job to be a martyr for your rights or for freedom. It's your job to make the people that want to take your freedoms away from you martyr for their cause. Oh, that's your job. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. And that's part of why we adamantly defend our rights. We adamantly defend God-given things that are true, correct, and righteous. And we use lethal force to defend those things. And as harsh as that sounds to an anesthetized, half-asleep Christian walking around like a sheep, believing the myth of the passive Jesus, this is what we do. We mm -hmm. defend truth, we defend our lives and our property, and we defend what is right. And this has to happen in the physical world, not just the spiritual world. A lot of people get caught up in the spiritual world, and they forget that nothing manifests itself for the better in the physical world uh, simply if it only happens in the spiritual world. Very true. Everything that happens in the spiritual world has physical consequences. Otherwise, it would be of no consequence at all. 
And God created the physical world. He designed the laws of physics. He spun our favorite rock around our favorite star and gave us a place to live. And so it's a really cool thing when you understand that the spiritual world and the physical world were designed to go hand in hand. And that when you make choices in the physical world, there are consequences in the spiritual world. And when you do things in the spiritual world, there are consequences in the physical world. And I'll give you an example. When Jesus confronted some demons and they didn't want to come out of this man and the demons asked if they could, if they could go to these pigs, Jesus permitted these demons to leave this person and go and ingest themselves into the swine. And the swine basically ran off a cliff or into a lake or something and destroyed themselves. And that's a perfect example of how things that are moving in the spiritual world have legitimate physical consequences. And it, it goes both ways. It's a two-way street. And understanding that it's a two-way street, not losing sight of that, gives you much better perspective and gives you discernment and wisdom. So good. Wow. That's really, really good. Absolutely. So we do have that responsibility and because the constitution and our declaration of independence were based on the sovereignty of God and the, uh, the natural law of God, not of man, we have not only the responsibility, but we have rights to do this, right? Absolutely. We have authority, not mm -hmm. just right and responsibility. It's very important, and you're one of the few people that I know that when they talk about rights, go straight to the source. <laughs> Our rights come from God. Our rights are inherent in being human. Mm -hmm. They are not granted to us by government. They are not granted to us by the Constitution. The truth is some of our rights are articulated in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Not all of them, mm -hmm. but some of them are. They're mm -hmm. articulated in a way that prevents government from thinking about trampling on them. And of course they do now because we've let government grow into this Leviathan thing it was never designed to be. And they've ignored the Ninth and Tenth Amendment. They've ignored the Second Amendment. They've ignored the First Amendment. They've ignored the Fourth and Fifth Amendments. You know, as a matter of fact, other than quartering troops uh, in your home, which is probably the Third Amendment, I'm not sure they haven't violated nine out of ten. Right. And, and, and isn't the tenth something like, and if you think that we made a mistake, you're wrong, you can't change it, or something like that. Well, the Tenth <laughs> Amendment talks specifically about all rights of the federal government being limited, and any rights not enumerated in the document of the Constitution are reserved to the people in the states. There you go. Now, our federal government has used the Supremacy Clause and the Commerce Clause to destroy the 10th Amendment. Hmm. And we as American citizens need to restore the 10th Amendment and remind these federal knuckleheads that we're in charge and we're not giving up our power. Exactly, exactly. And I guess because we are in the US with in the way that it is um, structured is we live in a county and the president of our county is our sheriff. And so when we do have stuff, we need to go to the sheriff, correct? Well, we in, in most states that I know of, I don't, I don't know that I could name an exception. The sheriff is the highest law enforcement officer within the borders of his or her county. Correct. And so they have authority. And it, the authority is real because the FBI even has to respect the authority of the sheriff. I'll give you an example. Everyone probably remembers the Waco debacle where yeah. the Clinton administration and Janet Reno and FBI HRT, they went in and murdered 73 women and children. And about, I want to say 45 days later, there was a county bordering the county that Waco was in. 
and the FBI showed up with 50 men to arrest this guy and surrounded the house. Well, the deputy sheriff showed up, called the sheriff to the scene. He called 160 deputies to the scene. And the deputy approached the special agent in charge and said, you need to take your federal agents and leave my county. You did not inform me that you had this issue and that you were going to do this. You disrespected me and my authority, and you guys need to leave, and you need to leave now. And the FBI SAC, the special agent in charge, said, you better get your men out of here, Sheriff, or we're going to shoot them for interfering in a federal investigation and a federal operation. And the sheriff laughed, and he said, you mean those 50 college kids you got standing behind you? He said, take a look at my men. I got 180 men right there. Most of them are Vietnam veterans. They know what a firefight's all about. This thing will be over in 20 seconds. We'll cut you guys to pieces, and you'll wish you'd listened to me. And the special agent in charge turned around and pulled his men out and left the county. As well, he should. As you know, he should have. Now, as a, a, as a, of... as a sheriff, uh, that man had a lot of backbone. Yeah. And it's not that sheriffs don't have the authority. The problem is a lot of them don't have the spine to use their authority to protect your life, your liberty, and your property. Bingo. You're right on, Sam. And a lot of people are under the impression that, you know, the county is under the state and the state is under the federal, which is absolutely wrong because it's we, the people. The power for us. <laughs> well, you know, in understanding the history of how we got to where we are is kind of important. Yeah. Because originally, the Jeffersonian model was that the people would gather into committees and they would begin to elect representatives. And that would move up from the bottom up. You would see this rising of power through the local, state, and federal governments. And, you know, we used to have our state representatives elect our senators at the federal level. A lot of people don't know that. But see, all of these things were done from the bottom up originally. But it all changed after the Civil War. In 1867, the militias were basically abolished. The authority of the people and the teeth of the people to execute their authority was taken away by the federal government. And in 1867, we had basically all state citizens were abolished. And you became a U.S. citizen at that point. Before 1867, if you were a member of Virginia, you were a citizen of Virginia. You weren't a resident of Virginia. You were a citizen of Virginia. You were a citizen of, of Massachusetts. You were a citizen of New York. And then after the Civil War, you know, everybody says the Civil War was about slavery. That's a complete lie. The Civil War was about the South circumventing the middlemen in the North, selling cotton directly to Europe. And when the North couldn't recruit a bunch of people to pad the pockets of the textile industry owners and bankers, they used slavery as a recruiting tool to get union young men in the Union to sign up and fight the South. But after the Civil War, people say, oh, that's not true. I said, really? Well, if it was all about slavery, why didn't they go and arrest the slave owners and try them for crimes against humanity? They didn't do that. They didn't, they didn't destroy the plantations and arrest the, sl the slave owners. They gave the slave owners their plantations back if and only if they agreed to sign a document saying they were a U.S. citizen. And when was the U.S. incorporated so that we became assets? Was it around that time? I don't know when the exact time was. But a lot of this stuff uh, started in 1867. Mm -hmm. It's when we lost our state citizenship. And really, this Constitution is nothing more than a contract between multiple states. It was never designed to give the federal government total control over the states. As a matter of fact, it specifically says that the federal government's powers are limited and they're enumerated. In other, in other words, we spelled them out in the document. If they're not in the document, you don't have the power to do that. Right. But we've had corrupt Supreme Courts. 
that have made bogus rulings that people have followed for decades. And we've gotten to the point now where the federal government is this Leviathan, overwhelming, controlling force that it was never designed to be by our, by our founding fathers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good. So let's come back to the sheriff's um, rights and responsibilities as when it comes to us as business owners. Very important stuff because, you know, a lot of people complain about government and their complaints are real. The problem is in a democratic Republic, you get the government you're willing to tolerate. You get the government you're willing to work for. And what I mean by that is in the last 40, 50 years, we have done a terrible job of developing candidates and we've done a terrible job of letting law enforcement be politicized. And I'll give you an example of this. Most city police chiefs are not elected officials. They are appointed by the mayor or by the city council and they serve at the pleasure of the council or the pleasure of the mayor. They are politicians that are political appointments. That is a tragedy in this country. So Mm -hmm. there's a couple of clear action steps that we can take as business people to fix these problems. The first thing is get together with a very powerful business lobby and go to your state capital and demand a constitutional amendment that require all heads of any law enforcement agency in the state to be elected by the people in that jurisdiction and to allow no money from outside that jurisdiction into the election process. If you can get those two things passed in your state, you will be much, much, much better off. We've got to get away from these appointed police chiefs. Mm -hmm. They're wreaking havoc in our cities and allowing people to destroy our small businesses. And it's tragic. And and I think that one of the reasons that they do that is because now they're uh, it's about the profit, right? They're there to enforce codes and regulations rather than enforcing constitution. Well, that's very true. Our police culture has gone from protecting the life, liberty, and property of its citizens to revenue generation for the city. And we've got to get our police agencies out of the revenue generation business and back to constitutional policing. And the only way to do that is to have your police chiefs elected, not appointed by the mayor or the city council. Because if they serve the mayor or the city council, they, I guarantee you they will be in the revenue generation business. If they're elected by the people, they can be held to account and not be allowed to be in the revenue generation business and be in the business of protecting your business, your property, your, your rights, your God-given rights. Now, the second thing that we have to do is business people. Remember, every right has a responsibility. And you have a responsibility to develop constitutional candidates. You need to find these people. You need to educate these people. You need to train these people. And then you need to run them for sheriff. You know, everybody complains about their representative. Well, what did you do to develop a conservative constitutional representative that believes in your God-given rights and and will go to your state capital and protect your life, liberty, and property? Because if you haven't invested 100 hours a year in that process and finding and developing and financing constitutional candidates, guess what? you get the government you earned. Mm. You get the representative you earned, which may be a Democrat posing as a Republican conservative who goes to your state capitol and doesn't vote your interests at all. Oh, that never happens? No, that's never happened. You know, we have hundreds of representatives in Missouri and uh, we're control. We have a we have a great number of Republicans in Missouri. A vast majority of Republican representatives. The problem is seventy percent of them are rhinos. They're oh. Republican in name only. They're not conservative in the least. And those counties have only themselves to blame. Those jurisdictions have only themselves to blame. 
And you've got to take back your local township committee, your Republican committee. You've got to take back control of that. You've got to develop conservative candidates. And then you've got to fund those conservative candidates and get them elected. That's the only way we fix this without a war. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but we're at the point where we're in the fourth phase of an insurgency. We're almost on the brink of war. It may be too late, but let's say it's not too late. Let's say that, that prayer and making changes in how you act and how you spend your money and how you develop candidates, let's say that we could fix this by voting. Mm -hmm. The only way to do it is if you take the responsibility as a business community upon yourselves to elect representatives that represent your interests and will protect your God-given rights. That's really good. So there's another issue that comes up quite a bit that I have debates about even with myself. Um, yes, it happens. Is when you've got a candidate who believes in the values that you have and is ready to fight and willing to fight for it, but they don't have the influence of someone who's like more moderate and maybe has some of the, the values, but they have more draw and more pull. What do you do in a situation like that? When you, you think person A has all of the values, they tick, tick, tick off the check mark, but you don't think that they'll actually win against the other side. Well, you, uh, I remind people all the time that when our great republic was started, our first leader was a general who would lead men into battle with a sword and a rifle. Our politicians today don't even know how to throw a punch. Stop. Right? <laughs> right? Can if you I see had a Kleenex, I would do what my grandma did to the dog when she was beating the dog with a Kleenex. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> that is funny. But can you imagine George Washington doing something so silly? Right. You know, and when we have this society that believes in all this passive garbage and they've been so misled, it's a very difficult thing. You have to find a real leader. You have to find someone who has the leadership qualities of a George Washington, you know, or a Thomas Jefferson, someone who's educated, someone who's intelligent, someone who's articulate, someone who doesn't look like a gargoyle, who's reasonably attractive, you know? I mean, yeah. look at John F. Kennedy. Yeah. I mean, women voting, would John F. Kennedy ever lose a race? No, <laughs> I don't think so, right? I mean, yeah. all the women are like, oh, he's so hot and he's such a nice guy. How yeah. could I not vote for him, right? Yeah. So you have to take in the fact that along with God-given rights, there are certain people with God-given attributes that make them leaders. And if you think you're going to find this guy who's not a leader, who's lived in his mom's basement and is a computer nerd, and he's very pro-God-given rights, and you think you're going to turn that guy into a leader and get him elected, you're kidding yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to do your homework. You've got to find these people with leadership attributes. Look at the governor of South Dakota. You talk about a stunningly beautiful woman who's incredibly articulate, who is cons the most conservative governor in the whole United States. I mean, whoever found her and said, we're going to run you for governor, that woman did her homework because they picked a gal. She could probably be the first female president of the United States. That's how strong her leadership abilities are. That's how much talent she has. And we have to go after people like that and convince them to represent us. You know, it's so funny. You're the second person that mentioned her, I think, either yesterday and today or just today, because apparently they didn't ever do the whole, they didn't participate in the whole COVID operation lockdown. No. Business. That's awesome. No, they, you know, you know, she was like, hey, how about all you Democrats take the vaccine and all of my South Dakota citizens will take the hydroxychloroquine and we'll talk in five years. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> there, there is no BS in this woman at all. She will call your punk card on a moment's notice. I love that woman. 
you know, and I, I'll be honest with you. I've always felt like the head of our, the commander in chief of our military should be a general. Our president should be generals like George Washington, people yeah. that have led men into battle that have true leadership capability, that have true discernment, and they've proven it in victories on mm. the battlefield. But after I've watched this gal from South Dakota now for a couple years, I would actually vote for her for president. She's the first female other than Margaret Thatcher that I thought had enough spine that could actually make a great president, not just a good president, but a great president. Yeah. And a lot of people give uh, president Trump a lot of, of, you know, grief for his stand up, you know, ballsy kind of attitude and demeanor. But you know what? That's what it takes. It's, it just, people get run over if they can't even stand up for themselves and defend themselves and their family. And, you know, like you said, just have a spine and be a leader. And that's why, so I just had this conversation the other night. Why don't we run somebody, you know, that's a, that's a good, like everybody loves them. I'm like, because they're going to get their lunch eaten. Yes. Yes. You have to have tough, intelligent people. You have to have people with discernment. They have to be reasonably good looking to get elected. They have to be articulate. They have to be able to solve problems on their feet. They've got to be quick thinkers. There are these specific attributes that identify leadership. Mm -hmm. And the, the perfect model is the gal that's the governor of South Dakota. Another great model for a candidate is someone with military experience that's a veteran and they have a heart for serving their country. They, they, they didn't grow up and get out of law school and say, I want to be a career politician. And they, they went into the military. They served their country for a good 12 years or more. And they've decided, I want to run for office. I want to fix some things. And these people that have a heart for service that have sworn an oath to the Constitution and then gone overseas and put their life on the line to defend that, this is also a good model for a candidate. And, and so we have successful models that we can follow, but our business communities aren't working hard enough to develop those people and to back them financially and to get them in these races and win. Yeah. And then, you know, I didn't even know until recently how important it is to vote for someone like that for your sheriff you know, to really understand, you know, it was always, you know, the, the, the politician, the, the senator, the president, you worry about those people, you do your research and make sure you're writing for them. And then the sheriff was just like, okay, um, uh, this guy or this guy, and you don't really know too much about him. So well, the sheriff is an extremely important candidate, but even more important in today's world, because if you don't have a constitutional sheriff, your community could very easily be the canary in the mine shaft. And a lot of people may be too young to understand what that means. But back in the old days, miners would take a bird, a canary in a cage, and they'd take it down in the mine shaft with them and they would work. And if the, if the canary killed over and fell off his perch into the bottom of the cage, they packed their tools up and got out of there because they know the air wasn't good enough to breathe anymore. They were getting methane or some other thing leaking into the air system. And so the canary death was their warning system to get out of the mine and get out now. And if you don't have a constitutional sheriff in your county, you can very easily be the canary in the mine when this uh, insurgency continues to grow more violent. And that's why you see the violence in Minneapolis, in Portland, in Seattle, because you have a conduit of a Democrat governor and a Democrat mayor, and that just opens the door for those poor business people to be the canaries in the mine and get destroyed by this violence. You're absolutely right. I am so incredibly blessed. I live in El Dorado County in California, and our sheriff is a constitutional guy, and so I'm I I almost can't believe, I, ha I know I have to believe, but it's almost like outside of my grid that people would so willingly give up 
their right and their liberty and, you know, have them shut down and agree to the tyranny. But well, most people have been trained in the public school systems. Their history books were full of lies. They, they, they were never, most people don't even know the first slave owner in the United States was a black man who owned slaves. Yeah. Most people have no idea that the first uh, president of, of the union was a black man. You know, they, you know, before we got into the constitution being ratified and all this stuff, the number one guy was a black business leader. Hmm. And, and, you know, if you're not taught the history of this country, it's very easy to buy off on the lie that everyone's a racist when in fact that's not true. Racism is being used as a scam to take control and power. And yeah. you know, a lot of people don't understand the real elitist collectivist problem. They don't understand who's at the source of all these problems. And, uh, they think it's socialism or it's communists or it's not, it's elitists that, that pose as collectivists. They're not collectivists. They're elitist narcissists. And these incredibly powerful people want to reduce the earth's population from 8 billion to 2 billion. And then they've been told by their scientists that in less than seven years, by 2027, they will be able to achieve eternal life through technology. And so their goal is to get the population down to 2 billion through genocide mm -hmm. and then to take it from 2 billion to under 500 million. See, and this is a sea change. This is a, this is a paradigm shift in tyrancy yeah. because for six, 7,000 years, tyrants wanted to enslave people that they took control of and use them for labor. But the yeah. current tyrants, the current elitists that are driving all of this collectivism and socialism and communism, they're, they're not interested in enslaving anybody. They want you off their planet. They want to exterminate you. Right. And they've written it in stone. They've talked about it in meetings. You can see them speaking the words on videos. This is not conspiracy theory. Oh, it's not. I, and I have, if you haven't seen, uh, audience, if you haven't seen the video of Bill Gates literally saying in a TED Talk, like to a whole audience who cheered, you know, if we get our vaccines right, we can eliminate 25% of the population. Like, That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. And if you, if you go to Georgia, visit the Georgia Guidestones. It's engraved in rock in eight different languages, what their plan is. Wow. And if you've never seen the Georgia Guidestones, I'm telling you when, you, when you go stand next to the Georgia Guidestones and you read this evil engraved in these stones, you read where they're going with all of this, it will send chills up your spine. I think I just got a hot flash. <laughs> <So> <laughs> they literally, they don't want to enslave you. They want you dead. And that's why Cuomo ordered infected people into the nursing homes in New York. That's why Michigan's governor did the same thing. It's all about population reduction and genocide. And until you realize that, you don't understand the end game. It's impossible for you to understand their end game until you understand this, that it is all about genocide. It is all about population reduction, which, by the way, is kind of the opposite of what God told Adam and Eve. The first command ever given to Adam was to go forth and multiply and subdue the earth. Right. God wanted the earth filled with his human creation. And so the people that are for population reduction, abortion, all these various things that, that bring about death, mm -hmm. they are literally the antichrist. They are opposing God's agenda for this planet. Right. And it's, it's, it's a litmus test. It's a gold standard. If you're for life and for population increase, you're in line with God's agenda for this planet. If you're about population reduction and genocide and abortion, you are literally following Satan's agenda. And you have to read no further than the, the first book of the Bible to understand what God's intention for this planet is. And you can go, I'll, I'll just give you a, a clue who's going to win. Uh, you can go to Isaiah 55, 11, 
where God says, words will not be uttered from my lips and return to me empty without accomplishing the task for which they were sent. So I guarantee you when God said to Adam, go forth and multiply, subdue the earth and fill it, uh, that's going to happen. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of pain in between that happening and now, but it's mm -hmm. going to happen. God will get his way. Yep. And but we have evil, to stand up. Yes. This evil will be destroyed and you absolutely. And let's talk about when, when I say you have to fight evil, you have to confront evil. Not everybody's a warrior. Not everybody's going to put on armor and ammunition and carry a 70-pound loadout with a rifle in their hands and go after the evil people. Guys like me do that, okay? But not everybody is cut out for that. That's not your purpose in life. But you can still get in the fight. And there are several ways to do that. You can do that by gathering intelligence, tracking what the evil people are doing and telling people like me. You can get in the fight by financing people that are, that are in the fight. Uh, you can make donations to the Freedom Center. You can make donations to your local militia. You can donate to training centers. You can pay for your nephew or your uncle or your grandson to train. Mm-hmm. So there are multiple ways. There's, there's the intelligence gathering side. There's mm -hmm. the logistics side of raising funds. There's the logistical side of buying time by getting constitutional sheriffs elected and creating footholds for freedom in your county. There's all mm -hmm. kinds of ways to get involved in the fight. You don't have to say, oh, well, I'm old or I'm not a warrior. Or, Fighting's not for me. You absolutely have a responsibility to confront evil, and there are multiple ways to do that. So don't shy away from that. Figure out where your talent lies. Is your talent lying in communication? Is your talent lie in observation and intelligence gathering? Does your talent lie in raising money or donating funds to help people that are in a righteous cause? There's all kinds of ways to fight evil, and I would challenge you to look in the mirror Every person listening to this broadcast, I would challenge you to look in the mirror and ask yourself the question, where does my talent lie? How can I help? Brilliant. Brilliant, Sam. That was so good. You're absolutely right. And if you are a prayer warrior, you know, you can do that. But I would just also say there's something in the natural world that you can do as well. You know, pick, pick any one of the ones that Sam mentioned. There is something. Even if you literally just have conversations that wake people up, red pill people about what's really going on in your, in your, little, in your own little circles, if you can just have those conversations, that will help. Every little bit helps. You know, yeah. a lot of people don't understand history and how the American Revolution was actually won. You know, our businessmen were predominantly pro-British. It was, it was yeah. these people in the taverns, these blue-collar guys like Samuel Adams that were like, I've had enough of these greedy so-and-sos, you know. And the John Hancocks of the world were initially very pro-British. And there is a great true story about John Hancock being humbled as a businessman and him walking into the tavern where he knew all the Patriots met. And they hated John Hancock. Oh. Samuel Adams and his buddies thought John Hancock was a spineless little estrogen-ridden weenie. Oh. They hated the guy, right? So here comes Hancock with his tail between his legs, and he walks into the bar and he says, guys, I've been so wrong. I owe you an apology. I'm with you. And they said, F you, you're a British spy. Get the F out of here. Right? And he said, no, 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 no. I'm serious. I'm really with you. And, and he wouldn't leave. And they, they finally said, give us one reason we should believe that you would change sides. Well, that day, the British General Gates commandeered Han Hancock's home took his home from him and commandeered two of his four ships that were in port. 
and basically stripped him of 75% of his wealth. And Gates set up Hancock's home as the headquarters for the British Army. No way. Yes. And they had taken, basically, it took the, the Leviathan government taking everything from this businessman before he humbled himself and admitted that these patriots were right. Wow. And now, here's the interesting backside to the story. Without, you know, they didn't take everything John Hancock had. John Hancock was a wealthy man. They got two of his ships and they got his home. They scammed that from him. Mm -hmm. But they didn't get all his money and they didn't get all his resources. And Hancock basically financed the weapons and the powder and the musket balls that we won the war with. And it was guys just like John Hancock who finally realized it was businessmen that got in the fight and started to finance the purchase of weapons and ammo and powder that actually allowed us to beat the strongest military in the world. So many people don't know this story, but it's imperative that businessmen get involved and businesswomen and you get involved in the fight because if you're pro-government right now, you're lying to yourself. Yeah. Our founding fathers would be stacking bodies at this point. And it's past time that people get involved and understand that this is, has to change or your children and grandchildren are going to be exterminated by these evil collectivists. They will be exterminated. And if you believe anything else, you're lying to yourself. And, and so I would implore people to get involved in the fight. Mm-hmm. And if you're not sure what to do, give me a call. I'll ask you a few questions. I'll figure out where your talent is and I'll point you in a direction in your state, put you in contact with people. Like right now we're working with the Virginia Militia Alliance. They're bringing militias together in 95 different counties. Nice. Nice. Yes. yes. And that, that's what will restore, restoring the state government to a de jure state government and restoring the militia at the same time is what will give legitimacy to the militia and will give teeth to the legitimate government. And that's the only way we get our Republic back without a shooting war. Beautiful. Yeah. And I don't know if you knew this, but I am a gun coach at uh, Peabody's range here. Locally. I, did not, I did not know that. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah, I am. So um, I definitely help, um, in the fight however i can just making people safe and and um confident with their weapons what we do at the freedom center is we train the trainers oh right you need to bring your uh your other instructors out and make a little road trip and get about four to six days of training from some navy seals and some intelligence operatives and it will be so fun. It will change your world. You will be a different human being with a handgun and then and, a, and an AR-15. And then you can take that information back to your home county and spread those skills. Love it. Love it. And I have been to your range and it's pretty phenomenal. We'll make you a force <laughs> multiplier for your county. Oh, I love that. A force multiplier. That's what I want to be. Oh, that's that's what all trainers are. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I coach coaches, you know, to, to get their message out there. Exactly. Because if I can, if I can coach my thousands and they coach their thousands, that means that I have helped millions, right? That's right. Well, we have, we have two slots open in our 27th, 28th, 29th and 30th class, Uh two days of handgun and two days of AR 15. So if you've got a couple instructors you want to send our way, will change their skill level dramatically in four days. Wow. Wow. That is so cool. We'll definitely keep in contact about that. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, just yeah. touch base with me after the show. Okay. Will do. Okay. Any last comments or um, you've just had so many gold nuggets and you've had so many action items that people can literally pick something up out of the talk that we've had and go forth and make a difference. So is there anything else that you want to add to that? Well, there's a couple of things that it helps people to know. Mm -hmm. One is that courage comes in small packages. 
So you start by finding the courage to ask questions and then do research and then a little, little more courage to make contacts with people. And this is how you get involved. It, it, courage comes in small packages. Don't expect it to come in a truckload. And the second thing is, is that nothing good will happen for you without initiative on your part. Yeah. You have to be willing to take the first three steps. And if someone knocks you back two steps, you've got to be willing to take three more steps forward. You have to have a little bit of try to you and a little bit of initiative to accomplish anything worthwhile. Nothing worthwhile gets done inside your comfort zone. It's all done outside your comfort zone and it's all built on a foundation of courage. So I would implore everyone to find some inner courage and take the initiative to get started. Beautiful. That is awesome. That's a great last note there. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for your time, Sam. This has been amazing. And I think I need to have you on again because there were a lot of rabbit trails that we didn't go down. That would be really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring em Elmer Fudd with me. We'll do some rabbit hunting next time. All right. All right. Very good. Well, say hi to your lovely wife, Ruthie. Thank you again for your time, Sam. And as always, everyone, thank you for subscribing, liking, sharing, wherever there's a button, please push it because we need to get this message out here, out there. This is amazing. Thank you to Kingdom Talks Network for having Spirit Centered Business on your network. And thank you to the Fringe Radio Network for having us on all of the channels on iTunes and iHeartRadio and Spotify and all of the podcast channels that we have over there. Thank you so much, you guys. We don't take this for granted and we can't do this alone. And as Sam said, we all need to do whatever we can to keep our country together, keep ourselves safe, and to really move forward. It's ultimately about building the kingdom, right? Berlin, so, I've enjoyed our time and thank you. Let freedom ring. And uh, have a great weekend. Take care. All right. Thanks. All right. Until next time, stay spirit-centered. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Spirit-Centered Business with Berlin Newby. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. The next stage of doing business by being spirit-centered is coming together in collaboration, working with spiritual principles, and knowing our destiny. Join our tribe at spiritcenteredbusiness.com, and we'll catch you on the next broadcast. Peace out. and more announces points with a purpose now through september 13th collect five times points on wines and spirits points earned equals a matching donation to local charities up to two million dollars in total shop with us today or visit totalwine.com terms and conditions apply